In the wake of Hurricane Harvey, we see how Plano responded. We visit a Plano church that's coordinating a nationwide volunteer effort to help Harvey victims rebuild. When our fellow man's in need, we help. We go behind the scenes of Trusted World as it wrangles a massive influx of donations headed for the Gulf Coast. The donations came from New York, California, Missouri, Tennessee, Montana. Uh, they just came in by the truckload. And we talk with Plano's emergency response team to find how they're keeping our city prepared should disaster strike here. We take you aboard the Inner Urban Railway to meet Jack the Motorman, our Plano character. And finally, we go undercover to get the scoop on a dessert with a cult following. A lot of people I talked to when I was like, you know, I really was craving a cherry dip cone. People looked at me like I had two heads. It's our Plano curiosity, and it's available only in Plano. Welcome to Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. I'm your host, Tammy Hooker. And I'm producer Mary Jacobs. We're glad you found our little on-air hangout with stories from inside of Plano and just outside of what you might expect. When disaster strikes, the first thing that Plano says is, how can we help? As soon as news of Hurricane Harvey's devastation broke, Plano citizens responded with an outpouring of help. My name is Carrie Reyes, and I'm the Director of Emergency Management. A lot of people reaching out and asking for where do we go, where can we engage and, and get needed resources to the individuals that have been affected. In the days after Hurricane Harvey made landfall, Plano citizens inundated phones in City Hall and the city's social media pages with inquiries about how they could help. And soon, help was on the way. The first wave was a group of our outstanding first responders in Plano. Several police officers traveled to Houston. Plano Fire Rescue also shared manpower and gear. 28 people along with two fire engines, one brush truck, and a rescue boat. Cities have long sent their police and fire personnel to assist in disasters. But just recently, emergency managers have begun doing the same, sending personnel to back up their counterparts in disaster areas. I went down to Aransas Pass, the, the coast right next to where the, the eye wall made landfall. It's especially important in smaller cities where an emergency management department might just be one person, if that. They were doing a great job, um, but they were very focused on the day in front of them because not only were they working, but their entire community and their homes themselves were affected. By having a group come in and take a little bit of pressure off, they were able to begin to start focusing on a couple weeks out. Meanwhile, back in Plano, faith groups and other community groups are finding ways to pitch in. Lots of churches, mosques, um, community groups set up donation trailers in their parking lots and said, if you have something, bring it and we'll take care of getting it down. That's Shauna Haley, the city's director of marketing and community engagement. On the city's social media, citizens shared creative ways they were finding to help. 
a woman in Plano who was really passionate about the impact that animals experienced. And I'm not talking about just your common furry pets, but really the, the livestock impact. And she reached out to neighbors. She reached out to me on Nextdoor, um, connected with her fellow residents and gathered veterinarian supplies and just went down, um, made several trips down to rescue horses, cattle, provide IVs to dehydrated animals. It was just really amazing. And some of the photos she shared back were really very moving. Another individual who owns a small barbecue shop here in Plano who said, you know what, I can't do a lot, but I can organize a cook-off. Um, and we're just going to cook barbecue and sell, you know, plates of barbecue. And that money is going to be donated to efforts down at Harvey. That says something about this community. We certainly are a large city. There's no denying that. But there is still that sense of community that you find in a very small town. When callers inquired about where to take donations, most cities in the Metroplex, including Plano, recommended Trusted World, an Allen-based nonprofit that collects items for disasters as well as ongoing needs. We went to Trusted World's warehouse in Garland for a behind-the-scenes tour. We're walking around 341,000 square feet of warehouse, which has everything from 700 pallets of water to 1,000 pallets of diaper to probably 1,000 pallets of food. And what we're doing is we're prepping everything for orders that go to the shelters. That's Trusted World's CEO, Michael Garrett. When we visited, he was on day 14 of a non-stop massive Harvey relief effort. The organization collected toiletries, diapers, non-perishable food, and more for Harvey relief. When a disaster happens, we all have a role. This is our role. Red Cross's role is to make sure they manage the shelter. So what the Red Cross will say is, hey, our shelter needs 500 blankets, we need so many boxes of diapers, we need so many men's large shirts. The order comes in to us, what we do is we go and pick and pack it and we send a truck down to the shelter. The whole process is built upon efficiency. We were brought in by the Dallas County VOAD to handle the, the, the shelters in the Dallas area. And then while a lot of the donors say, well, we want you to send our stuff down in the Houston area. And so we're arranging to take some of the stuff down there. So like for instance, there's a whole room here and all they're doing is they're sorting and they're separating out soap from deodorant, men's deodorant, women's deodorant, shampoo, conditioner, nail clippers, it's all being broken down to its smallest component. So when we get our orders in, we can pull, pick and pack as fast as we can. It's an amazing operation that takes donated items from donors' hands and quickly sorts them, then gets them into the hands of those in need. During the first days after Harvey hit, Trusted World was deluged with donations, with cars lining up for blocks to deliver supplies, and about 1,000 volunteers turning up each day to help sort. Area companies sent teams of volunteers to help or pitched in in other ways, like chicken sandwiches. Kudos to the area Chick-fil-A's who have been feeding our volunteers. So they've been coming every day at noon and every day at six and taking care of lunch and dinner. Normally, Trusted World focuses on supplying needed materials to school counselors, police officers, and others who see the needs. For example, if a school counselor notices that a child's been wearing the same clothes every day, he or she can request clothing in that child's sizes. Trusted World assembles the items and ships them to the counselor for free. We're the Amazon for nonprofits. It's getting the resources to the right people. 
The secret to this just-in-time system for donation collection and delivery? Michael's lifetime of experience. 30 years in manufacturing, um, I'm statistical process controlled, Six Sigma lean manufacturing. I spent four years being trained as a corporate disaster response person up in uh, North Jersey. Um, I've been doing this all my life. While Trusted World is based in Allen, with the influx of Harvey donations, they've moved temporarily to a warehouse in Garland. The wonderful people at Apex Tool who own this building, we explained what we wanted to do and they said, you bet you can do that. Come volunteer, see what's going on here. There's a community of people out there and I'll, I'll tell you, it's very emotional because you realize that this is love at its greatest means. After touring Trusted World, we wondered, what can we do to prepare should disaster strike our hometown of Plano? We went back to Carrie Reyes, Plano's Emergency Management Director, to find out. One of our wonderful programs is our Community Emergency Response Team, and it's an eight-week program where we take volunteers from the community to get uh, specialty training on how they can help themselves and their neighborhood following a disaster. So they get specialized training in things like um, first aid, light search and rescue, uh, individual preparedness, the psychological aspects of disaster, and it culminates in a disaster exercise where you put those skills to use. Some 400 Plano volunteers have been trained through this CERT program, and many were called on to help in Dallas shelters for Harvey evacuees. If you live or work in Plano, you can apply now for the next training class, which begins in January. You can also visit the North Texas website, Know What to Do. We've got that link on our resources page for this episode. To find ways to prepare yourself and your family for a disaster. They have a family preparedness plan. It's fill in the blank. You fill in the blanks about your family and then you're left with your own family disaster plan. Carrie adds that the most likely disaster to affect Plano will be severe weather a tornado, high winds, or a severe hailstorm. And just a few simple steps could make life easier for your family if disaster strikes. Have some water, have some food, build your disaster kit, flashlights, uh, a method for communication, copies of your important documents, um, some minor tools, and have that ready to go. Have enough water for three days for every person in your family. Have a gallon per person per day. Being down in the coast where they went over a week without water or power, it's important to know where to shut the water off to your house. Uh, know how to shut the gas off to your house and have a communications plan. Have a method that you have planned out in advance for letting your family know that you're safe. Another hurricane has already overtaken Harvey in the news. And as the water recedes in Houston and nearby cities, inevitably, interest and concern for the plight of the residents will wane. But one Plano church is committed to the long haul, to see through the entire recovery phase for a whole community devastated by Harvey. As long as it takes to finish the job, that's how long we'll be there. That's Jesse Prince, executive pastor of Grace Outreach Center in Plano. Nobody's talking about Victoria. 
And so um, we said, okay, that's where we'll go then, you know. Victoria, Texas is on the Gulf Coast. Grace Outreach is in Plano, 400 miles away. Why base the operations in Plano? The answer in one word, relationships. We have a great church in Victoria that's on the ground there that we've partnered with. And, um, you know, Pastor Jim and his his team do such a fantastic job. They have such a program going right now to help clean up and to help do those things. And so where they said they needed help was we're going to need help repairing the community. And so that's the reason we chose uh, Victoria is just simply because we had the relationship there to be able to partner directly with them to make sure that every penny truly goes to the families. There won't be administrative fees. We're not paying staff. This is just anything we've raised to this point, which the response has been really humbling, um, goes straight to those houses and those families. Relationships with other churches around the United States are helping Grace to staff the effort with an army of volunteers from around the country. Uh, My name is Cody Brooks. I oversee the marketing and technology here at Grace Outreach Center. Right now, we're up to about 30 uh, churches in Florida, Georgia, Ohio, California, Um, We received some stuff uh, the other day from a church in South Dakota. So uh, um, every every day the number is growing. We've been developing relationships with churches all across the nation. And that uh, is basically because of our senior pastor. He does leadership roundtables and conferences uh, all across the nation and has been doing it close to uh, 20 years. Um, So uh, that's helped as far as uh, building the network. The church plans to send teams of 10 to 15 people for five to seven days at a time to repair homes and help with recovery efforts. You don't need to be a member of the church or a skilled carpenter to help. We need people that can paint. We need people that can carry sheetrock. We need people that can clean up, you know. So um, so it's, it's sort of set up where almost anybody could go down there. We don't want you to go down there if you're going to be the object of the ministry, um, but we want you to go down there if you can be able to help. And if you can help in any of those ways, then you can pass a background check, then we're going to take you. We're right next to DFW Airport, so it's one of the central hubs uh, in the nation for uh, the largest airline in the United States. So it, getting here is very easy, and that helps as far as you know communicating, saying, hey, get to Dallas. If we can get you to Dallas, we can get you down there. And so that's kind of been uh, uh, one of the reasons why we've sat here and said, hey, let's do it in Plano. Let's do it here. The heart of the people has been so good, it makes it fun and easy. You know, it really does because everybody's eager to help. It's not we're not pulling teeth to get people off the bench. If anything, I've had to go. Give me just a minute. I'm trying to find answers for you. I'm trying to find answers. So it's been really good. Send money, send people and let's go make a difference. So that's how Plano is responding to Hurricane Harvey. With our first responders deployed in the disaster, with Plano citizens collecting cash and donations and with churches or others preparing to help in the long haul. If all of this doesn't make you Plano proud, we don't know what will. Cities compete against one another, obviously, for jobs and for residents and for quality of life. But at the end of the day, cities um, support one another, and that's where change happens. And a city is, by and large, the reflection of the people who choose to call it home. And I think that the way we saw Plano residents respond speaks very well of the heart and soul of our community. Are you enjoying this episode of Plano Podcast? If so, you can join our growing list of patrons. Visit planopodcast.com and click on the support tab for more information. Now, back to the show.
board. To meet our Plano character, we climbed aboard car 360. The red vintage rail car from the Texas Electric Railway. Parked next door to the Interurban Railway Museum. If you're in downtown Plano, you can't miss it. I'm Jack Dernan and the role I'm playing is Motorman. Jack tells visitors and many groups of school kids about Plano's history. We are in car number 360 of the Texas Electric Railway. It operated from um, 1908 until December 31st, 1948. That's when they pulled the plug and went out of business. The electric was a lot easier to start and stop for the sudden stop, uh, for the short stops that they had to make and the frequent stops. It was a lot easier to start and stop it. It was a lot cleaner. It was a little less maintenance and things and they didn't have to worry about storing coal and water. A retired electrical engineer who worked for over 30 years at HP, Jack has been leading these tours since 2004. I always liked trains. Um, Growing up, I had two uncles that were really involved with trains. One was a conductor on the um, Jersey Central Railroad, and another one actually made trains for uh, amusement parks. He made small steam locomotives and things like that, and we'd go visit him during the summer and get a free ride on his little train that went around the lot there, and you know, just enjoyed it. While in operation, the railway carried passengers and mail between cities in North Texas. Jack's tour starts in the front compartment. This space is called the motorman's compartment. This is where the motorman sat. And he had two controls, the speed control on the left and the brake control on the right that he used to control the car. This space also has piles of newspaper because that was delivered by the train every day in the morning. It stopped at a station like this and they would take and bring some newspapers in and get sold to the local people. That's how they figured out what was going on in the world. Behind the motorman's compartment is a seating area. We're in basically the first class section of the car, and this is a section where people could smoke, because it says smoking on the sign, and by every window on the window posts, there are little metal striker plates for the matches so you could light up. Across the top of the luggage rack are vintage ads from the time. These are very typical of the time period when this car ran, and there are still products that we get today. Heinz products, there's um, um, Life Buoy, Borden's evaporated milk. You can see some of the things that we still can buy today in supermarkets. The uh, cord down the center here is a signaling device between the motorman in the front and the people who worked in the post office in the back. So when the motorman was ready to leave, he would ring the bell in the back, and when they were ready to leave, they'd ring the bell in the front and he knew it was safe to go. The door that we walked through back there was always closed and locked, so he couldn't see what they were doing. Next, Jack leads us into the middle section of car 360. This is the second class compartment here. Uh, there, this is a non-smoking compartment. You can see there are no match striker plates on it. There's a movable sign here that says whites, which the conductor could raise or lower to separate white passengers from African-Americans who sat in the back. When school kids tour car 360, Jack says this sign always has an impact. Most of them had heard about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and segregation and all, and they started looking at each other and going, oh, I couldn't be back here. I couldn't sit with you, my, my best friend, you know, things like this. So it really makes that message 
true to these students when they see the sign and realize, oh, yeah, I have to move and go to a different spot here. So it's very, it's very forceful for them. It makes them that light bulb light. It's just great to see that. The kids, of course, also like to hear about the potty, located here in the second class compartment. This is what we refer to as a direct flush, meaning what goes in goes right out onto the tracks. <laughs> the sign on the window in the toilet says, do not use toilet while the train is in the station. And finally, Jack took us to the back section of the car. This is the U.S. Post Office end of the car, compartment of the car. Only people who work for the post office work back here. They did not work for the railroad. They always had the door closed and locked, so passengers could not get back here. There was a mail slot, so any passenger who wanted to mail something could drop the letter in the mail slot and get it taken care of. You know how much postage was back then? Yes, it was three cents according to this letter that we have here. That's pretty typical of the time. It's a complete working post office with hand-canceling tools and scales. Bags of mail were picked up and dropped off at each stop along the way. Along one wall are um, pigeonholes to put the mail for different cities. Denison, Sherman, Howe, Van Alstine, Anna, McKinney, Allen, Plano, Richardson, Dallas. That was how they sorted the mail and got it from city to city very easily. And, you know, back then the roads weren't paved, as we mentioned before, so getting it from A to B took a little doing. And if it was on the rail car, it got through very quickly and easily, and it got sorted between as you were going from city to city. The railway is long gone, but Car 360 is open to visitors at the Inner Urban Railway Museum on 15th Street in downtown Plano. The museum is open weekdays from 10 until 2 and on weekends from 1 until 5. Go into the museum and tell them you want to tour the train and they will oblige you. And if you have a group, call ahead and they'll arrange for a total tour of the train and the museum. And we encourage you to do just that. Check out this cool bit of Plano history and be sure to ask for Motorman Jack, our Plano character for this episode. And finally, our tale of curiosity, and it's a sweet one. Plano holds bragging rights in a lot of areas, but this was a new one for us. The DQ Cherry Dip Cone is a vanilla Dairy Queen cone dipped in a cherry hard coating. Here's the thing. There's only one Dairy Queen in all of North Texas, maybe all of Texas, that carries the cherry dipped cone. And that's the DQ on Avenue K near downtown Plano. Why? Because of this man. I'm Justin Bowers. It's kind of a cult favorite. We're near one. We'll always stop and get a, a cherry dip cone. It's kind of got a, a kind of a almondy flavor to it a little bit. It's not just straight cherry wax. <laughs> it's it's got a little more refined flavor, and it's not for everybody. I've, I've sent people that direction, and we're like, wow, that's the grossest thing I've eaten in a long time. Justin ate the sweet treat while growing up in New Mexico but discovered that Dairy Queens in Texas don't carry the cherry dipped. That didn't stop him. Outside of Texas, everything, they have the whole range, the, the cherry and the butterscotch, but Texas only chose to, to carry the chocolate because chocolate was the most popular. 
until I started harassing them. The powers that be at Dairy Queen in Texas responded to his pleas. And now the cherry dip cone is sold at the DQ on Avenue K. In the interest of journalistic integrity, Mary and I went undercover and taste tested one. Okay, we're pulling up to the drive-through of the DQ on K Avenue, undercover. A small cherry dip cone, I'll be totally out the window. Mmm, tastes like maraschino cherries. That's pretty good. We need napkins though. Oh my gosh, we didn't get napkins, here's one. I love the stark, really unnatural red color. And it's surprisingly good. It's just, a, it's a great flavor and it's, it's very unique. It doesn't taste like anything else they have. Stop by and enjoy this only in Plano curiosity, the cherry dipped cone at the DQ on Avenue K. We've reached the end of another edition of Plano Podcast, Tales of Curiosity and Character. We hope you've enjoyed today's topics and discussion. Remember to support us on Patreon and to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Send your feedback, ideas, and comments our way. Thanks for listening and subscribing. We'll be waiting for you at our back corner booth. Until next time. 